Hi, Story Seeds podcast listeners. Your host, Betsy Bird here. Welcome to our bonus episode. One of my favorite parts of this job is that I get to talk to all the authors we are featuring on the podcast to get behind-the-scenes scoops on their experiences in writing life. Today, it's Chris Grabenstein, author of the very popular Mr. Lemoncello's Library series. Without further ado, here is our conversation. Chris Grabenstein, thank you so much for talking with me today. Well, let's let's get right into it here. All right. All right. What sparked your interest in Jasper and this particular story suit, a story about a 74-foot-tall detective. Well, it's actually the 74-foot height of our... Let's be precise here, yes. (laughs) You know, I used to do improv comedy, so I'm always looking for uh, like a challenge or like give me something and Mm -hmm. I'll make something up about it. And that, that, what I thought Jasper did a good job of was coming up with a story seed that had a specific, uh, because I think the best seeds are really specific like that. You've got a 74-foot detective, so you have to do a lot of thinking about that, and it really kind of sparked me to to start imagining that world. Well, that was, that was one of the things I really liked about the whole talk was you really dug down into the specifics. You know, some people would be like, oh, 74-foot detective, sure, let's just you know, we'll just begin with the mystery and, you know, then we'll explain his backstory later. But you really, you really, especially with him, you really worked with him to get just the entire guy's backstory, his life, um, what it was like. And then when you wrote the story, you really spoke about, you know, what his life was like way before the mystery even came along. So why did you set it up that way with the story first and the and the mystery uh, sort of afterward? It's kind of what I, I like to establish the the rules of whatever universe I'm creating. Like in Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's Library, there would be no magic, but there would be some really kind of high tech things that seemed unbelievable. But I always dug for uh, logical explanations for what could do it so people can willingly suspend their disbelief. And my very first books for kids were ghost stories. And when you write a ghost story, you really have to have the rules set. I remember by the time I got to the third ghost story, all of a sudden, one of my ghosts was floating above the ground or something. And my editor said, Chris, your ghosts don't float. They've never floated before. <laughs> so you can't just, you, know, you can't, because that's where you lose readers or listeners is when you start breaking the rules. So I wanted to uh, build this world. Also, the more I thought about it, because I go off on these walks and I think, I said, you know what? This is a tall tale. This is Paul Bunyan or Pecos Bill. And there's a lot of fun in in that genre of uh, old Dan Tucker was a mean old man, washed mm-hmm. his face in a frying pan, that kind of stuff <laughs> that you can just have a lot of fun with. So I, uh, I think that specific really triggered an awful lot. Well, that's funny. So, yeah, you, you, uh, you said at one point that this, that this was sort of a tall, tall tale. Um, so for kid listeners who have never heard of what a tall tale is, well, what is a tall tale? 
Ah, it's like the story of Paul Bunyan, who was probably 74 feet tall, and he was a lumberjack. I think tall tales were started as a way, a fun and funny way to explain things. Like, uh, how did that, how did a railroad get built? Or how did we clear these forests up here in Wisconsin and Minnesota? Or, uh, where do, where did whirlwinds come from down in Texas? It's Pecos Bill twirling his lasso. <laughs> so it's, I guess in a way, it's like fables of old that try to explain things, uh, by creating characters that mythological characters in a way. I guess they're kind of folksy myths, aren't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I, you know, I think we all have our favorite because, you know, tall tales could be about someone who could just do something extraordinary like Pecos Bill or they could be about someone who is like super literally tall. I think people get confused sometimes and they're like, oh, yeah, tall tales are about tall people. And that's tall not people, right? Or Paul Bunyan. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But there are lots of tall people in these tales. And and of course, you know, from I always think of children's books when I think of uh, when I think of giants like I like Donna Floor. I like Swamp Angel. I like the TV show Steven Universe, where pretty much anyone who's a fusion becomes a giant. So who are your favorite giants? This is this is my gotcha question, by the way. Who are your favorite giants? Or name them. Name names. Well, I, Jack and the, the giant from Jack and the Beanstalk, of course, is oh. one of my favorite. I put him in the uh, my book, The Island of Dr. Liebers. But I, I'm a, probably a little older than you. When I was on when I was a kid, there was a TV show called Land of the Giants. And it was uh, – Kind of a space thing, if I remember. It's kind of like Planet of the Apesy. These <laughs> astronauts were in a ship that I think that landed in a land where they were the tiny people. And uh, my wife loved that one too. Before we even met each other, we were both ten years old in pajamas watching it. But uh, Land of the Giants would be one of my favorite giant stories. Sort of like a Gulliver's Travels for television. Yeah, and I like yeah. those picture books with the big dinosaur. I can't remember uh, the name of the. But I, I used to have a print from one of those picture books where the the big green dinosaur plays baseball and things like that. Oh yeah, was that Dinosaur Bob? That was the uh, I think it's Dinosaur uh, Bob. Dinosaur Bob and the Family Lizardo. That's a that's a yes. Book. Yeah, that's yeah. A great book. I love that book. Oh, that's good. So, um, so this is about a detective. Now, you said you wrote ghost stories, but have you ever written mysteries before, like straight ones? Because Mister Limoncello has a bit of stuff that's out of the ordinary. But I don't know if you'd call it like a straight mystery. So have you ever done like a, like a, like a rote mystery before? Oh, Betsy, I was president <laughs> of the New York chapter of Mystery Writers of America. What? Because you before, were? Yeah, before I wrote for kids, I, I wrote this. Yeah, I wrote mysteries for adults. I created a, a by the book cop named John Cpack, and there are eight eight books. Or is, eight books and one short story in that series. So that's what I did before I wrote for kids. And then I wrote these ghost stories, which I always think of ghost stories are mysteries because you're trying to figure out why are these ghosts here? Why why haven't they moved on? So those were ghost stories. And Mr. Lemoncello is a puzzle mystery. And my uh, Welcome to Wonderland books are kind of basically mysteries. And uh, I even got to, this was kind of fun, the Mystery Writers of America asked me to edit a collection of short stories that will be coming out in the summer of 2020. And I want to do those old ones that I loved as a kid, the like the one-minute mysteries where... Uh, oh, I love those, yeah. Where the, the 
conclusion, the solution is chopped off. And you get right up to the point where the detective goes, aha, I know who did it. And then you stop and the kids get a chance to uh, solve the mystery. And if you can't, you can go to the back and there's a... Yeah, I feel like the Encyclopedia Brown books kind of ripped that off. Exactly. Actually, I think the same... I did my research. I think the same guy did Encyclopedia Brown and the One Minute Mysteries. Get out of town. Dan, Donald Sobel did both of them? Oh, I'm wow. pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he Okay, well, then he was, he was ripping himself off. So He's ripping himself off. We all do that. We all do that. That's legitimate. Yeah. So, That's, yes, wow. I, I'm steeped in writing mysteries. And I think because though that's what I like to read. Because uh, I always tell kids, I was a reluctant reader as a child. I like to think of myself as a super critical reader. I only want stories that get like a movie started or, or really get me involved in the story. And because mysteries have an element, it's almost like doing a crossword puzzle where you get to figure things out along with the characters. Those were always my favorite stories. Well, and one thing I sort of liked about your talk with Jasper was that you kind of show the process of how you make a mystery, too. So as right. you were talking together, you were really diving deep into, you know, you know, who has committed this crime? Why are they thinking that he committed the crime? You know, why did they commit the crime? You know, what is the clever method by which the police wouldn't be able to figure out how the crime was committed? Um, yeah, what I always do when I write a mystery is I write a little like memo to myself. Here's what really happened. And sometimes I'll even draw little diagrams of the crime scene and then your job as a writer is to, you know, if you're playing fair with your reader, is to expose enough of those facts so they can uh, figure it out, but also use some of those same clues that sent to, for misdirection and red herrings and things. So you really can't start building your mystery till you know exactly what happened. Some of my mystery friends swear they don't know who did it till they get to the end of their first <laughs> draft. But uh, I'm a Virgo. I like to plan things. Yeah. You're more of an Agatha Christie and less of a Rex Stout. Yes. 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 There you go. So have you ever collaborated with anyone before, uh, whether they be child or adult? I have done a, uh, 26 collaborations now with James Patterson. Whoa. We've 26. done, I think there's 26 and we're working on four more this year. So oh. we've done I Funny Together. I Funny and we've done there's six books in that series, Treasure Hunters. I think the seventh book comes out next year. Jackie Ha Ha. We did that two book series, House of Robot. And I just collaborated with my wife on a book called Shine. And we're still married after collaborating on a Aww. book. Aw. That's yeah, a love a, story, that is. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. And I tell everyone. My wife is much more attractive than James Patterson. <laughs> that's, a, that's a high bar you got there. That's, yeah, exactly. that's what, exactly what she says. Oh, great. <laughs> exactly. Just kidding, Jim. Now, when you, uh, <laughs> when you uh, collaborated with Jasper, uh, you know, what, did, what did he bring to the table? You know, aside from his awesome name, because he himself has an awesome name. Um, yeah, he has he an really awesome good at thinking of name. Yeah, he was thinking up these good names, too, as he was going through, which I yeah, he had, enjoyed, uh, but yeah. He came up with the name of Zeta, and uh, yeah. I think his uh, initial seed of, and I tried to point out to him like how cool that was, that he was thinking in specifics. He just could have said, oh, I want to do a story about a detective. And it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. well, there's five billion of those. 
How and that yep. really is the same dilemma anyone who wants to write a mystery for kids or adults faces. Like, yeah, there's five billion of those. What's going to make yours different, unique, worth reading? Because one of my big philosophies uh, about writing, and it's probably because I spent 19 years uh, writing advertising, is why does someone want to read? or listen to this story. There has to be something in it. So I thought Jasper really brought his uh, his 74-foot tall idea. I just love that 74, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The spe- specific, I can't say the word, but the specificness, there you go, of it yeah. is what uh, intrigued me the most. And then he was good to bounce ideas off of and spitball, and he was open to things. You know, a lot of people, when they're collaborating they're really not. They have an idea of what where they want the story to go, and that's it. And you'll get a lot, no, that wouldn't work. No, I don't think, no, the way I saw it. And again, it goes back to my uh, improv roots when I did uh, the New York version of Second City with a couple troops here in the city. Uh, you always say yes and. You never say no to what your scene partner, in this case, the writing partner, proposes. And that's how I think uh, Tina Fey talks about in her book and the yes. And is if someone says it's hot in here and you go, no, it's not. Then the scene doesn't go anywhere. If someone says, right. wow, it's hot in here. You say, yes, it sure is. You haven't denied the world they've created, but you haven't taken it anywhere. If your partner says, wow, it's hot in here. And you say, yeah, I told you we shouldn't have climbed inside this dog's mouth. Then all of a sudden <laughs> I've taken that and I've added to it. And then I come back with something, well, as canine dentist, we had to get this small to get in here. And, and so you could just, so that's how you, you uh, really collaborate is you, uh, it's like bouncing a ball back and forth and there's no bad answers or bad ideas uh-huh. your first time through. Some of them, you know, I always tell kids, get oh, it down on paper first. Uh-oh. If it's bad, you'll see that it's bad, but at least you'll have something to react to. So with the idea of a 74-foot detective, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but I would say that the idea is slightly, it's just a little bit far-fetched. How do you create a story out of something that is so, not ludicrous, but just out there? Uh, Yeah, that's where I think, again, the world building and the Mm -hmm. logic and uh, it, it is, and actually the making it sound believable is where the story starts and what makes the story fun. I think if I just started like there's a crime and the the chief of police knew the only one who could solve it was a 74 foot tall detective, you'd go, what? But what's what I, what I would, what I try to do is start with, again, with those tall tale kind of uh, flourishes and you realize, and, and also with stories, you always want someone to learn something or someone to grow. So, I thought, you know, if you're a 74-foot tall, and I made him a kid. I don't think Jasper necessarily cared whether the detective was a kid or an adult. But I think if I was a kid and I was 74 feet tall, I wouldn't have uh, accepted it yet. I wouldn't have learned how to live with it yet. So there's, there's, it's kind of like the 74-foot tallness can become a, a metaphor or a stand-in for everything else that kids think that's weird about them. So uh, I wanted him to to be in this position where he knew he had like, this is cool on the one hand, he's really tall, he can do all this stuff. But on the other hand, he doesn't fit in. And uh, the one thing he wants 
more than anything is for his mom to be happy with him. And uh, she's not when the story starts. That's true. That is true. And then in the course of things, you you both went up onto the roof, I believe, of your building. Yes, we're very lucky that we live on the seventh floor of our building. It's an old building in New York City that was built in the 1890s. I think it used to be a hotel. And all of us on the seventh floor have little spiral staircases that take us up to the roof, which we've made into uh, like a little deck up there. But I thought it was pretty neat because especially New York, unfortunately, has these really tall, ugly buildings going up now that are they sort of dwarf the entire skyline. They have a really small footprint, but they're as tall or taller than the Empire State Building. And so it kind of looks like giants invading. But when you get up to the roof of our building, it gives you a perspective of what this character, how uh, he might have to look at the world. Yeah. Well, I love, you know, whenever anyone does some sort of research for their story and and in a way going up there and seeing how tall one building or another is and and how tall 74 feet actually would be was a kind of research, I'd say. Yeah, it was research. So uh, it's kind of good to get a perspective on that. And down the block, there was a big construction uh, site going on where they're building like an eight story building. And so there's all these cranes there the day we went up and they have this crane with a big long straw on it that pumps the cement from the street up to the eighth floor where they're trying to put the floor down. So that mm-hmm. gave us some images to play with as well. Oh, that's great. And now where do you want the, um, let's say that, you know, with this story and it, it's not finished by any means, uh, where do you kind of hope uh, Jasper and the kids who are listening to the podcast might go with it? Well, I, I tried to set them up. I tried to set up. We've got this 74-foot-tall guy who can – there's some special things about being that tall that make him valuable. And in the story, I don't want to give away what he does. But I think – the I hope kids will come up with what mystery could only be solved by somebody who was that tall. Yeah. You know, like it's 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 thwarting. It's, it's like when uh, mm-hmm. they send up the bat signal to call in Batman. They don't call Batman in on every job. But when would you call in a 74-foot detective? <laughs> Are there a series that of... That is the question. Is there a burglar in the town, the seventh story man or woman <laughs> who only robs... A, that's his MO, his modus operandi, is he only robs the seventh floor apartments. And the police... To get there, they have to take the elevator, run up the stairs, and he's always one step ahead of them. That's when you need a 74-foot-tall detective. <laughs> or something like that is where I hope they go with it. Something like, what? when would his specific talents be called on? Exactly. And, and of course, you, you have to tell me. I don't know if you can. But does he make his mom proud? I, I hope so, kids. That's in the next part of the story. Yeah, because exactly. that's... Whenever we write a story, we always talk about uh, things that a character wants, like uh, in Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's Library, Kyle wants to win. But then also characters have something they need, and he needs to understand that he's just as talented as his brothers and his family in that story. So what uh, Zeta needs in this story he, he wants to solve the crimes and, and not destroy the neighborhood by being 74 feet tall, but he needs to do something to earn his mother's pride and love. So let's give him something, kids. <laughs> exactly. 
Now, just to pull back a little bit here, um, what made you want to be a part of Story Seeds? So what was it appealed to you? Uh, well, they approached me, and I guess you know I, I do a lot of school visits, and there's always kids who come up to me who have ideas for stories. And then typically when I do a school visit, I'll do two assemblies, and then I'll have a lunch with kids who are usually selected by the librarian. Either they're big readers or they want to be writers. And sometimes I'll do writing workshops with kids. And, you know, that's when I got started. I, I was 10 years old and in the fifth grade, and I got some encouragement from teachers in Signal Mountain, Tennessee, where I grew up. And that's what got me started. So, uh, and kids' brains are so fertile that we should encourage them because I really think that creativity and imagination are more important. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this than science and math. I mean, if you, if you know all your science and math and you don't have an imagination to do something new with that, then we're not going to move forward. That's true. I, I would actually agree with, that. I don't think that's a very controversial statement at all. Well, um, all right. But, <laughs> but, but like, you know, I, I like when they, like, I like when they talk about STEM and they call it STEAM and they add the arts mm -hmm. as the A. Yes. Because if so we just know how to. Man, not a STEM man. I'm a STEAM man. <laughs> Excellent. Now, you mentioned when you were a kid, what kept you going? Because you, any kid can want to be a writer, but they might just peter out and they're like, well, it's not a real job or bad. You know, it's too hard to be a writer. You, know, what, what, you actually did it. So how did you yeah, do it? Yeah. Uh, well, I let's see, I won an essay contest in the fifth grade, which made me think, oh, maybe I, I want to have a little talent. And in sixth grade, I wrote a skits for my friends to act in at talent shows, and we got laughs, and laughs will keep you going. Then in seventh grade, I wrote for the junior high school newspaper, and I got to write funny stuff that everybody would laugh at. And I also had a teacher, a seventh grade teacher, who she loved to laugh, and so I wrote at the time, there was a columnist named Art Buckwald and Irma Bombeck was writing back then. Oh, they were sort yeah. of the day berries of their generation. And so I said, why should I write these boring essays about what I did over my summer vacation? I'm going to write it like Art Buckwald would have written it. So I would write these funny essays. I would, you know, nail the assignment. But she liked what I wrote so much. She wrote in the margins of one of my papers, you will make your living as a writer someday. So as I tell kids, when a teacher tells you something, you know it has to be true because they take a vow never to lie. Uh, so that encouraged me. And then by eighth grade, I started showing off. I really wanted to be a writer. And I was terrible because I was doing everything I thought a writer should do using big words and, and being poetic and stuff. And I actually sometimes will read something from my eighth grade composition book that's just horrible. But then I got to high school and I had a great uh, – English teacher who introduced me to Shakespeare and Hemingway. I kept writing for the school paper, writing plays. So I, it's just like, you know, it really started when I was 10, 11 years old. And I just kept, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I just didn't know what I would be writing. So I've, you know, I wrote a movie for CBS with a buddy of mine. We wrote, I wrote for the Muppets. I wrote for comedy really? troops. Yeah. I wrote for Jim Henson and the Muppets back in the days of Dial the Muppets where you would call up a telephone number and one of the Muppets would talk to you. What? And I've never even heard of this. Oh, that, was a big, that was a big thing in New York, but then 
people were abusing it. I think you got charged like 50 cents every time you called one of these special numbers. (laughs) And there was ones for, you know, sports and weather. And you could talk to a Muppet. And they liked what I wrote for that, that I got to write for a short-lived TV show called The Little Muppet Monsters. And then I wrote a Christmas gift of John Denver movie that, believe it or not, has its own Facebook page. There are people who just love that movie. It was first on... CBS in 1986, and it's still on every year this time of year. In fact, the Facebook page is talking. It's on the Hallmark Channel again this this holiday season. And then I uh, I was doing improv comedy. We made like ten dollars a show, so I was supporting myself as a typist. And my light wife said, "Why don't you try to find a job where you could be creative every day?" And that's how I eventually stumbled into writing advertising, where I took an aptitude test that was in the New York Times. It was eight questions, write if you want work. And the creative director of the New York office of J. Walter Thompson is the fellow who wrote that test. And guess what his name was? What J- was his name? James Patterson. What? So he, and that's what people say. How do you get to write with James Patterson? Well, I've known him since 1984 when we used to do Burger King commercials together. Whoa. Yeah, so that's and so he was the inspiration for me trying to write books because I I figured there might be some connection between writing commercials, which are all about grabbing people's attention, and writing page turners. When both of you do so, I would say the consistent pattern being both of your books is that a person picks it up and does not want to put it down. That's what we try to do, and then hopefully they say, "Give me another book" when they're done. Exactly. That is the goal, of course. Yeah. Much like a burger at Burger King. Yes. Um, or perhaps more of a fry. So uh, now, did your imagination ever get stuck? And if so, is there anything you do to get it unstuck? Uh, it never really gets stuck because I have those improv games that I did for five or six years in a Greenwich Village basement always in my head. But sometimes... I think every writer goes, ah, I'm no good at this. How do I, I'll I'll never, this is a good starting idea, but I'll never, uh, what happens next? I don't know. And this is when I tell kids that that's when you need to go take a walk. Because you'll find if you take a walk and you don't put any earbuds in and you don't have any devices for like 30 minutes, just go for a 30 minute walk. All of a sudden you'll start daydreaming again. And all of a sudden, answers will start presenting themselves. So uh, now I kind of use my iPhone and talk, take notes. I, for years, I walked around with three-by-five note cards and Sharpies in the pockets of all my jackets, pants, everything. There's stacks of them all through my house. Because what I learned doing advertising was you never had an idea when you sat down to have an idea. The idea <laughs> always came when you were walking the dog or washing your dishes or standing in the shower. So be prepared for ideas to strike when you least expect it. That is true. All right. Final question for you, sir. Now, you talked a lot about improv, and we were kind of wondering, can you suggest an improv exercise for the kids who are listening that would help them get their imagination going, get their their creative juices flowing, if you will? Yeah, one thing I do sometimes, we'll do some improv when I uh, when I go to these workshops and schools, is a fun one to do, and it helps with writing, is to pick an occupation 
or give yourself a list of occupations like plumber, baker, uh, teacher. And then on another sheet of paper or on cards, yeah, I do them on cards. On cards. On the other one, put down emotions like angry, sad, uh, hysterical, happy, uh, giddy, jealous, and then mix them all up. And then tell me a story or answer a question is how we kind of do it like a TV talk show. Answer a question as an angry bake as an angry baker. <laughs> an angry baker who's got flour all over him. And all of a sudden he like is kneading dough. He like punches the dough with his fist. And you want to know so all of a sudden by putting the emotion with the occupation, you'll start developing a character in your head. And that will help you when you're putting together your stories. That is fantastic. All right. Well, Chris Grabenstein, you are a complete pleasure to speak to. Thank you so much for recording with me. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, folks, that's all for today. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast streaming platform so you can tune in as soon as our newest episodes drop. If you have a stellar story seed and want to be on the show, email us at storyseeds at literarysafari.com. You can also call our hotline at 646-389-5153 and leave a voicemail telling me all about it. Find us on Instagram at StorySeedsPod and visit our website www.storyseedspodcast.com for behind-the-scenes pictures, to join the Story Seeds Society, and so much more. Credit to Matt Boynton and Anya Jeshik of Ultraviolet Audio for the sound mixing, design, and score of our bonus episode. Our theme music is composed and performed by Andrew Van Weingarten. And I am your host, Betsy Bird. Story Seeds is a literary safari media production. On Story Seeds, you're in control of your destiny. Adventures you design where your dreams can grow a little more each time. On Story Seeds.